and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, band. You know what's awesome? There's a lot of things that are awesome. But one thing that struck me this morning that is awesome, Mr. Jackson on drums. Grayson on bass. Is that the bass you're playing? And Flip on keyboards. Now, if I'm not mistaken, all three of these people have been in our youth group at one time. And then there's a bunch of old people. (laughs) If you did not get sermon notes, please raise your hand. You need sermon notes. One down here, please. Anybody else? You're all getting good at it. One way over here. Come on, come on. Get running there, buddy. Anybody else need sermon notes? If you're online, uh, you can get them in the chat section of Facebook there. We need one over here too, Bob. Anyone else? I've got a spare one here. I don't ever fill mine in. I don't trust that guy. How do I know he's telling us the truth? We're in a series called Walking with Jesus 2021, and we've been kind of working our way through um, the Gospels. This morning, we're going to look at an awesome passage of Scripture where Jesus figuratively slaps the Pharisees upside the head. I love it when he does that. He teaches on rules, religion, and relationship. Now, this isn't a parable we're looking at this morning. This is an event. In fact, actually, it's two events, and it's found in all three of the, um, what do we call them, complementary gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, for the past number of weeks, we've been using Luke as our main source. This morning, I'm switching over to Mark. Here's why. On this particular account... And, and it's in all three, so you can take a note of it. In this particular account, Luke has the least amount of information on it. Everything that's in Luke, you can find in Matthew and Mark on these particular events. But Matthew has information that Mark and Luke doesn't have, and Mark has information that Luke and Matthew doesn't have. So I had to pick one, I chose Mark. But here's what I would do if I were you. I would get out of here after the service, after we've set up for vacation Bible school, And compare the three of them, because it's kind of interesting to see the three different perspectives of this same event. So, um, I chose Mark. So, let's dive dive right in here. Mark chapter 2. We're we're starting in chapter 2, and then we're going to traverse over to chapter 3, because this is two different events, but they happen at the same time. It says, one Sabbath day as Jesus... This is Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, Haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during, during the days when Abiathar was high priest, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people, not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. And then into chapter 3 it says, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. 
Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and he asked, Does the law permit good deeds to be done on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into this. Father, we just thank you for your word. And I pray now as as we have read your word and now we dive into your word to seek your truth, that you would write your word on our hearts, Father. Open up our spirits, open up our minds to wherever you would lead us. Show us your way, Father, that we can be the people you've called us to be and do the things you've called us to do. Father, I pray that you would empty me of me as I bring this message. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that this word is not an informative word, but a transformative word. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's loop back and dig into this. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off the heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Now, even though this is kind of early on in Jesus's ministry, there's been a lot of tension. A lot of opposition has has been mounting from the Pharisees. He's garnered a lot of negative attention. It's a rising hostility. And they're coming from all over, all over the country, to watch him and critique and accuse him. And every time they do, Jesus comes right back at them with a response, usually from Scripture, that leaves them looking foolish foolish and flummoxed. So Jesus, so what, what they do is what bullies naturally do. Well, if we can't get to Jesus, let's get to his disciples. So Jesus and the disciples are in a grain field, and these guys are watching them. Now, I can't imagine this. They're in a grain field. Pharisees are following them. You can imagine their heads peeking up. What are they doing now? And they're sneaking through the grain fields, watching what Jesus and the disciples are doing. Someone's taking notes. It's kind of crazy. But like I say, every time they engage Jesus, he, he gives them a verbal slap upside the head so they're coming after his disciples and you remember last week um, they came after but your john's disciples and the pharisees disciples often fast and pray but your disciples jesus And, and and what they're saying is your people are not righteous enough now if you want to get any of the previous messages go to our website lakeway online or our app or facebook and they're all in there So here we see the same thing. Hey, Jesus, look at what your disciples are doing. Harvesting grain on the Sabbath. That's against the law of God. What's going on, man? Are your disciples not righteous? And and they're actually right. Sort of. Let me tell you a little bit about the Sabbath. The Lord instituted the Sabbath way back in Moses' day. It was like 1,400 years before this event. And the first mention of it in the Bible predates the Ten Commandments. It's to do with the manna and the quail. 
The Israelites are out in the desert. They've come from Egypt. They're on their way to the promised land. They're not there yet. And they're in the desert. And they come to this part of the desert that is absolutely arid. There's no food. There's no water. And the people start grumbling. Moses, why did you take us out of Egypt where we had food, where we had meat, to just die in the desert? And God hears their grumbling. You know, why, why, why are they grumbling? And, and he says, I'm going to provide food for you. In the morning, it's going to rain bread from heaven. And in the evening, you will have quail. So you're going to have bread in the morning, you're going to have meat in the evening. And he says, you are to collect it every day for six days. You're only to collect enough for each day's food. Don't be collecting any food today for tomorrow. Trust in me to provide each day. And then on the six days... Sixth day, collect enough for two days. And in Exodus 16, we read this. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day, the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. And then down in verse 22, it says, On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual, four quarts for each person instead of two. Then all the leaders of the community came and asked Moses for an explanation. What's going on, Moses? It's kind of weird. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest. So this is the first mention of the Sabbath. A holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake or boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. That's the first time the word Sabbath is used in the Bible. Like I say, it predates the Ten Commandments. The word Sabbath, it's a hard word to translate. It literally means to to cease or to rest, to stop. It's a day of stopping. Now, there were two purposes for the Sabbath, and this is in your notes, I believe. It was a holy day set apart for the Lord, and it was a rest day. So it's to be holy, and it's to be a day of of rest. So later in Exodus, the Lord emphasizes this. Down in Exodus 31, he says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, You must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Holy means to be set apart. You're special. I'm going to make you holy. So the Lord is saying, I want you to set apart a day as a sign that you are my people. You are set apart as my people. I want you to set apart a day because you are my people. And he says, observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Now look how important this is to God. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Ouch. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does not work Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day is to be put to death. The Israelites are to to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. There's no end date. 
It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. So God is serious about the Sabbath. Don't do any work on this day. This is a holy day to remind you that I am holy. And as my people, you are holy. This is a day that is set apart. That's what holy means. So that you will remember as my people that you are set apart. Now, 1,300 years later, we got this little altercation going on with Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the religious lawyers. Now, what do the lawyers study? The law, right? They love the law. And lawyers tend towards the letter of the law rather than the intent of the law. The Lord said, you're not to do any work on Sabbath. Now, the question becomes... What is work? Does that mean if I get out of bed, I did work? Does it mean if I put on my shoes, I did work? So the question becomes, what is work? Now, over the years, the Pharisees added and added to God's word to try and define what constituted unnecessary work on the Sabbath. They had a whole bunch of extra rules. For instance, you could only walk 1,999 paces on the Sabbath. If you walked one extra, you were doing work. Oh, that's wrong. Can't walk 2,000 paces, but 1,999, that's cool. You could write a letter on the Sabbath, but not two, because that would be work. If you tore your clothes on the Sabbath, you could... Do one stitch to fix your clothes. But you couldn't do two stitches because that would be work. So they're trying to define it. If you're injured on the Sabbath, if it's a non-life-threatening injury, come back on Monday. Actually, it would have been come back on Sunday. If it's a life-threatening injury, well, okay, we can look at that on the Sabbath. They had many, many rules. If you, if you had a knot in your laces or in your garment, you were not allowed to untie a knot because that's work. And that would break God's Sabbath. This is legalism. We still do this stuff to a certain degree in the church, especially the Baptists. We love legalism. I'm going to say something. Lakeway's not too bad. We're a pretty graceful church. But I remember the first time I ever encountered Baptists was my old pastor up in Canada and we became good friends really good friends and I remember him telling me about his church in Michigan they weren't allowed to hold hands because if you hold hands who knows where that's going to lead they couldn't dance they couldn't play cards they couldn't drink they couldn't smoke obviously all the obvious things the woman did not wear pants to church because God would not approve of that. So you sinners. Sinner. <laughs> Actually, the, the, this is the weirdest thing. There was one card game they weren't a- allowed to play. It was called Rook. Anyone ever heard of Rook? It's the Baptist card game. You can play Rook, but you can't play any other game, card game. It, it, it was so weird. Now, on this day here, Jesus is in the field with his disciples. They're they're walking through the fields. There's a good chance that they actually broke two rules on the Sabbath. 
I imagine they walked more than 1,999 paces as they're walking through the field looking for grain. Now, it, it, it kind of strikes me as funny. So if the Pharisees are watching them, they've got the advantage. The disciples have got the advantage because the Pharisees can only ra- walk 1,000 paces in because they'd have to walk 1,000 paces back out. And then they'd be over the top and they'd be doing work and they'd be sinning. So all Jesus and the disciples had to do was walk 1,500 in. And they're looking for a distance. So they probably broke that law. And then they broke the law. They picked heads of grain, which the Pharisees considered as harvesting. Now, you most definitely were not allowed to do any kind of trade on the Sabbath. It was all about what's unnecessary work and what's necessary work. What's necessary to to live normally and what's unnecessary Well, trade would be unnecessary. So the Pharisees are looking and saying, you pick a head of grain, you're harvesting grain. They're emphasizing the letter of the law. And Jesus jumps right to their defense. He says, haven't you heard? (laughs) I love this. Haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He's talking to the Pharisees, the studiers of the law. And he's saying, haven't you guys read your Bible? Don't you know your Bible? Did you, did you miss this chapter? And then he does that thing that lawyers love to do. He quotes precedents. This is what happened in the past. This is already in the book, guys. It's already in the book that you love to study so much. And it's about David. And they love David. Jesus said to him, have you ever read in the scriptures what David did? When he and his companions were hungry, he went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. So this was back in the day. David was, he was on the run from Saul. And it was at the stage in, in, in his life where all of Israel was really against him. They were not on board with David just yet. And he just had no one to help him, but he had this band of brothers, he called them, that stuck with him. And they'd been involved in a battle, and they were on the run, and they were hungry. And everywhere that they went to get food, everybody said, no, we're not feeding you. And David thinks to himself, I know where there's some food. There's some food in the temple. There's always a store load of bread. It's kept for the priests. It's the holy bread. Let's go on into the temple. He gets in the temple. He takes the sacred bread. He eats it, and he gives it to his band of brothers, and they eat the bread too. Now, Jesus knows that they revere David as a great king, the greatest king Israel has ever known. And the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And in essence, Jesus is saying, David broke the law. Are you all okay with that? What are they going to say? So they don't say anything. Now, what David did is he understood the value of his brothers. He elevated his brothers above the rule of the law. These guys are hungry. They're going to faint. We're going to give them some food. He carries on. He says, then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. 
Now, the even is in there because prior to this, I don't know if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the passage of Scripture where the man was let down through the ceiling. And Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And all the Pharisees were there and they were all up in arms like, you have no right to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus is re-emphasizing, not only can I forgive sins, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the Lord. This is my day. It's not your day. Who are you to make rules about my day? I make the rules about my day, not you. If I say you can eat bread, you can eat bread. If I say you can eat grain, you can eat grain. It's my day. The Pharisees elevated the rule over the relationship. And Jesus elevated the relationship over the rule. Now just add another slap in the face. He adds this last part. The Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. I am the Lord. Now what was the purpose of the Sabbath? Come on, you filled it out. To rest? Two purposes. It was holy And it was a day of rest. They were God's chosen people. The Sabbath was holy, set apart because the Lord set apart the Israelites and made them holy. It's about relationship. It's not about the rule. But Jesus is not done. Chapter 3. Jesus went into the synagogue again. Now, if you read this in Luke and Matthew, it seems like this is on a different day. But in Mark, it doesn't. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, don't know if it's the same Sabbath or maybe a week later, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. So another pharisaical rule, like I said, you could help someone who was sick or injured on the Sabbath, If it was a life-threatening situation, a shriveled-up hand is not a life-threatening situation. So they're watching. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life? Or to destroy it. But they wouldn't answer him. So he knows they're watching him. And he knows. Why they're watching him. So he challenges them. Is this a good day for good deeds? Or is this a day for bad deeds guys? What what, what do you all think? And he gives it back to them. Is it about the rule? Is it about religion? Or is it about relationship? Can we do good on the Sabbath or is that considered work? So he's got them in a corner. They don't answer. He looked around at them angrily and he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. Now just put yourself there. Here's the walking with Jesus. Imagine you're either sitting there or you're the man. Who wants to be in the middle of this controversy? Who wants to be... Um, what do they call it? No, I can't think of it. In, in, in when you've got evidence. A. I can't remember the word. Exhibit. Who wants to be exhibit A? In this battle between Jesus and the Pharisees. This poor guy is exhibit A. Now, it reeks of a setup to me. I'm just not sure 
if it's a setup by the Pharisees to try and catch Jesus, or if it's a setup by Jesus to teach a lesson to the Pharisees and to everybody. But whatever, this poor guy is in the middle. And, and Jesus doesn't go over to him. He, he gets him stand up in front of everybody. Now just imagine if you're here, and there's a whole group of people over here who don't like me. And they're all, and they're all grumbling about me. And every week, and I pick you and I say, come on up here. And you get to stand here. And you're listening to them grumble and you think, oh my gosh, if, if he does something through me, it's going to seem like I'm on his side. They're all going to be against me. And what was the punishment for working on the Sabbath? It was death. It's not a comfortable situation for this guy. Now, what do you think this guy is thinking? There's only one thing he really wants, isn't there? He wants his hand healed. And I love what happens. It's really cool. Jesus doesn't say anything. He gets the guy up there. He doesn't touch the guy. There's no abracadabra, you're healed. He calls the guy up there. He challenges the Pharisees. Everybody's looking at the Pharisees. And then he says to the guy, hold out your hand. And it's already healed. I bet the guy didn't even feel anything happen. It's like, what? And everybody's like, whoa. Except for the Pharisees. They're kind of angry. Is it now how hard does your heart have to be when you see God perform a miracle and heal someone and your reaction is anger? In the last verse it says, At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. So here you find the the, the reason for Jesus' question. Does the law permit Good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for evil? He was doing good. They're plotting evil. And they're pointing the finger at him. He wanted to change a life. They wanted to end a life. Their hearts are so hard that on the very Sabbath that they claim to hold holy, they're planning murder. No wonder Jesus was angry. That word angry in the scripture there, actually means incensed. It means furious. You ever had anyone give you a look? You know what I'm talking about? Every man in this building goes, mm-hmm. Yes, I know the look. I imagine that's what Jesus did to the Pharisees. He gave them a look. It's like, oof, he's angry. But mixed with that fury, Jesus is deeply saddened. Again, if you look at the the Greek, that word, it it means to be grieved. What does the scripture say about grieving the Holy Spirit? Don't, Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It says it's the only unforgivable sin. I don't want to get into all that. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? I said I don't want to get into it. Can't help myself. (laughs) Moving right along. The, The scripture warns us not to grieve the Spirit. Now, what was he grieved at? The hardness of their hearts. They put the rules, they put their religion above people. They loved rules more than they loved people. And that's the focal point of our lesson this morning. Hardness of heart. Because every single one of us has it. It's not hard for your heart to be hardened. In this difficult world. 
it's easy for our hearts to be hardened. You see somebody at the stop sign and they got a sign that says, War vet, please feed me. And what do most people naturally think? Scammer. Maybe he is. What does the Bible say? It says, give to everyone who asks you. I don't. A little bit of hardness. He didn't say you only give to people that you qualify. And there are so many ways that, that our hearts are hard. Little, just little things. I was talking to someone just the other day. And, and they were saying, you know, when I'm in church sometimes, and I see people raise their hand, I think to myself, ah, they're just faking it. I used to think that very same thing. It's a hardness of heart. So how do we maintain a soft heart in a hard world? I got three action steps for you. Number one, take a break. The Sabbath had two purposes, right? They were tied together. It was a holy day and it was a rest day. It was the rest that made it holy. Back to Exodus. He says, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. Look at this. I will test them in this to see whether or not they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. And as you can guess, some of the people stored up more food than they needed, and that food rotted. They couldn't use it. Why did the Lord regard the Sabbath so jealously? jealously? Because it was a relationship covenant. It was a demonstration of faithfulness and trust. I'm going to trust that you are my provider, God. I don't have to be my provider because you're my provider. And, and it wasn't so much about how, how much can God trust us. We all know the answer to that one, right? It was about how much we trust God. That's what the Sabbath is all about. Are you willing to give me a day? You know, I remember when I grew up, it, it, this, there are a number of things that confound me moving to the USA. First of all, when we moved to Canada. In England, you can't buy anything on Sunday because all the stores are closed. Not now, when we left. 40 years ago, wow. <laughs> 41 years ago. All the stores are closed. So if you didn't buy what you needed on Saturday, you're not getting it on Sunday. It's hard to find a gas station on Sunday to put gas in your car. Everything is closed. You know what the number one religion in England is? Atheism. I come over to America. I look at a dollar bill. In God we trust. You can't find a store closed on Sunday, except for Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Nebraska Furniture Mart? Good for them. My go-to store. See, I don't go there on Sundays. <laughs> All right, there's a few. You get the point, right? (laughs) 
We were designed to take a break. I, I, th- I find it kind of weird that we have to sleep. I'm not a fan of sleep. Most people like sleep. I'm up early. I don't, I don't like to sleep. My wife takes like an hour to wake up. My kids will take an hour to wake up. I wake up, I'm ready to go. Plug and play. Boom. And it's an inconvenience. But God designed us to sleep. It's weird to me. I'm going to have a conversation with him about this when I get up there. You know, we live for 60-something years is, is the number here. We live for a lot longer. And a third of it, we're sleeping. Now, dreamland is kind of nice sometimes. So, and, and, and people like a nap, don't they? A lot of people like an afternoon nap. I'm typically British. We think it's unconstitutional. <laughs> but we were designed to take a break. And back in this day, the the land, there was a rule that every seventh year, you would leave the land. The land needed a break. Your servants needed a break. Your family needs a break. Your family needs you to take a break. I'm amazed over here how many people virtually don't take a vacation. Why don't you take a vacation? You should take a vacation. You should take time off. I'm glad my wife years ago made it a rule in our house that every year we take a vacation. And we'll take two or three weeks, a chunk of time, and go. Take a break. God commanded it. It shows us that we trust him. The only reason that we work on Sunday is because we think we can get a little bit more and we're not trusting God with that day or whatever day you choose as your day. Number two, break a habit. Number one, take a break. Number two, break a habit. What stops you from trusting God? What gets in the way of of really putting God first? What causes your heart to be hard toward your Lord? What causes your heart to be hard toward his word? You know, it's weird. The Pharisees use the word of the Lord to harden their hearts. By adding to it, and Jesus used the word of the Lord to soften hearts. The word of the Lord is like a soothing balm to our hearts. So I have a challenge for you. It's the Psalm 139 challenge. Psalm 139 is an awesome psalm. And I put a little piece of it in there. It says, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So here's the Psalm 139 challenge. The S stands for search me. This is easy, isn't it? Search me. Invite God. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know, right? Search me, God. Know me. Know my thoughts, know my fears, know the things that drive me. Know the things that cause me to sin. Show me. Okay, you've searched me, you know me. Now show me what those things are. Because sometimes I'm so hard to those things, I don't see them. And then grow me. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. Show me how to go your way, Father. This week, I invite you, read through Psalm 139, the whole thing. It's really good. And pray through that. Number three, 
and we're almost done here. There's nothing like practical application to help soften the heart. Number three, intentionally offer grace where none is deserved. I want you to think of someone, maybe someone who left their phone on. And, (laughs) sorry, Sandra. (laughs) Think of someone who has done you wrong in some way or another and does not deserve grace. You're absolutely justified in how you feel, in how you want to act toward that person and forgive them. And then let it go and don't tell anyone. It's just you and God. How often do we want God to forgive us when we don't deserve forgiveness? We so easily accept grace and we so miserly give grace sometimes. And there's probably somebody that every single one of us can think of that has caused some kind of hurt or some kind of pain or done something and we've just held on to it. You want to soften your heart? Let it go. Let them know and let no one else know because if you let other people know, you're doing it for you. Oh, they were really bad and they deserved it and I forgave them because I am just like Jesus. (laughs) All right, a caveat at the end here. Rules... Keep relationships healthy. Rules keep relationships healthy. You've got to have rules if you want to have a healthy relationship. Jesus isn't saying, throw out the rules. This is why we share vows on our wedding day, right? We make promises to one another. We set up the boundaries of the relationship. I'm going to love you. I'm not going to cheat on you. I'm gonna... We set up the rules of the relationship. And then we operate within the rules of the relationship. Anytime that God makes a rule, God is never arbitrary in his rules. We may not always understand it, but any rule that God makes is to improve the relationship between us and God. Not to take away from it. So Jesus never told us to throw out the rules. When he said that that we were set free by the law, because I'll have people come to me and say, well, aren't we set free by the law? Yeah, we're set free by the law, but we can't disregard the law. We're still bound by God's law. It's still wrong to murder, lie, steal, covet, cheat. It's still wrong to hurt one another. That's why we have rules. But there needs to be a consistency in our relationship. Because here, here's what I find happens with people. We, we swing that pendulum. You've got gracelessness all the way over to, I don't know, no consistency whatsoever. So this is important. Just as we should never value the rules over the relationship, we should never value the relationship over the person. Let me explain. My need for you to like me or approve of me or admire me or even love me must never take precedence 
over my love for you. And if I have to do things in the relationship or say things to those people that love me or, or that, that could damage the relationship because I love them more than to let them go down that road, then you've got to have that conversation. Jesus wasn't saying just roll over and let people walk on you. And we tend to, to, to go from one to the other. You've got the brick wall or you've got the wet noodle. Somewhere in the middle. Oh gosh, who was it? Irvin McManus. I love the way he put it. He said, some people are coconuts and some people are peaches. I think I've shared this with you before. He said, coconut people are all hard on the outside. They're not approachable. But if you crack the shell, there's nothing inside. It's just mush. He said, you don't want to be one of those kind of people. You need to be a peachy person. A peachy person is warm and soft with a solid core. Solid convictions. That's how I want to be to my wife. That's how I want to be to my family. That's how I want to be someone that is approachable, that will listen. But I'm not a noodle. I got a core, I believe. And I trust in my God. I trust in his rules. I trust in, in his way. And I'm not going to deviate from that. And I will have the conversations. And I will do the things that I need to do. Because I love you more than I love this relationship. And I will sacrifice this relationship for you. That's the caveat. Sometimes love says no. All right. How are we doing for time here? 12.05. Say what you mean. Mean what you say, do what you say you're going to do. That's consistency in a relationship. But you've got to ground it in love. Let love... Oh, yeah, one last fill-in here. Did I do we should never value the... Good. <laughs> Let love reign your rules, not rules reign your love. Make sense? So you know what you need to do? Take a break, eh? After we set up for VBS. Thank you, John. <laughs> You're my man. All right. I love this teaching of Jesus. Uh, and I hope that's kind of brought the, what the Sabbath is all about a little clearer to you. It's about relationship. It's about trust. It's about putting people above the rules. And it's about putting God first. God... I don't want to give you a day. I want to give you my life. Take any day. I want to live for you. That's what the relationship is about. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks. I thank you for, I lo- I thank you for the Gospels. I love your word, Father. I love the, your, your word, the Bible, and I love your word, Jesus Christ. And I love your Holy Spirit that speaks to us through your word, about your word, Jesus Christ. And Father, here, I've I've offered up a challenge here. The Psalm 139 challenge. And the challenge to show grace to someone who doesn't deserve it. Father, soften our hearts, I pray. Help us to be the loving, graceful people that you've called us to be. As I always pray, Father, so that those who are outside this wall would see something inside of us that they say, I want what they've got. Soften our hearts and soften our spirits, I pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. Okay, announcements. Vacation Bible School. If you are signed up to help on Vacation Bible School, we're going to have a meeting right now. And then we've got five areas to set up. This stage is going to be changed into a train station. Back there is going to be our games, whatever that's called. Who? Rec time. And then we have uh, two rooms, three rooms, two rooms down there that we're going to do and something over in the youth building. So these are all stages that the kids are going to be a part of. If you can stay to help us do that, I would really thank you. I'll thank you so much that I will feed you. I believe we have pizzas on the way or are they here? On the way. So we've got pizzas. My wife and I are having salad because... I'm so much like Jesus. No. (laughs) Please be faithful with your offering. You can give as you go out the door. If you did not fill out the survey for Transformed, I need to get feedback. Even if you hated it, I need your feedback. I need you to put on there, I hated it. Don't ever do that again. I need your feedback. So we asked people to fill those out, and I got about five returned last week. There's a link on the website that you could go to. And that'll send me, and you don't even have to put your name on it, all right? You can anonymously say, Pastor Mike, if you ever do that again, I'm becoming a Mormon. You know, whatever you want. But give me some feedback so we know how we can help you, all right? Uh, What else we got going on? That's it. Please stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, I just thank you for your love. I thank you for your holy presence with us. Father, I thank you for Vacation Bible School this week. I love Vacation Bible School. Father, thank you for the children that you're going to bring here. Thank you for the volunteers and the teachers and and the worship leaders that are all going to be part of it. Thank you for those that are going to help set up today. Father, pour out your blessing upon this church. Father, I pray for a harvest that we would see little people come to know you as Lord and Savior, that we would set them off in the right direction this week, Father. Give each one of us a passion to serve you in this area. And Father, again, as we go from here, pour out your blessings on us so that we may pour out your blessings on others. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Where are we meeting?